welcome to a special preview episode of For the Ladies for this week's U.S. Women's Open. The 76th edition of this championship is being held for the first time at the Olympic Club. Olympic has previously hosted five men's U.S. Opens and three U.S. Amateurs. For our preview episode, we welcomed Kay Cockrell, who is a former LPGA player and is now an on-course reporter and analyst for Golf Channel. Kay is also a member at the Olympic Club, so we of course talked about the course, what makes Olympic unique and difficult, and holes to keep your eye on while you're watching. She also shared her experience playing the course with some of the players in the field, such as Lydia Ko, Caitlin Papp, and Young Kim. Kay also shares her picks to win this week. This episode is packed with information to prepare you for a week of major championship golf. But before we get into the interview, I wanted to share how you can watch the U.S. Open all week long. First, make sure you've downloaded the Peacock app. It's free to stream on the platform, so you might as well. On Thursday and Friday, coverage will be on Peacock and Golf Channel in primetime. On Saturday, coverage will start on Golf Channel and then finish on Network NBC. Then we'll end the championship on Sunday with Peacock from 1 to 3 p.m. and NBC from 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Okay, that was just a lot of information. So overall, go to uswomensopen.com for all the details all weekend long and enjoy the U.S. Open. But I am so excited to head to San Francisco. I get there on Friday, so. Um, yeah, it bring should your, be Bring your layers. Okay, noted. <laughs> but, uh, it's going to be some version of cool, probably. Yeah, and I don't mind that, so that'll be good. Um, well, I'd love to just start by introducing, you know, you and your current role at Golf Channel, um, but I know your career in golf started before then, so would you just mind sharing a bit of your backstory of playing on the LPGA and then how you landed at Golf Channel? Yeah, definitely. Um I, I went to UCLA and played, played on the collegiate team for them and uh, got a degree at UCLA. Took my time, took five years. I wasn't really in a rush to get out. Um, but, and I really didn't think that much about turning professional, but a lot of my fellow competitors that were playing at other schools that were friends of mine, they were sort of pursuing that path. And when I won my second US Amateur, a lot of people showed a lot of interest in me and, and wondering what my next step was when I was going to turn pro. So I turned professional and, and qualified for the LPGA tour the fall of 87. So my first year on the LPGA tour was in 88. And I, I think my first two or three years, I, you know, went through the usual ups and downs that, that rookies and, and, new people transitioning into professional golf had. I had some good tournaments. I, I hung in there. I did all right. But after about, I guess it was about five or six years, I had just sort of been feeling like I was spinning my wheels. I was frustrated a lot. I was, you know, I had to go back to Q school once and that was really like devastating. But I had always been I enjoyed pro-ams and I was really good with the, um, the sponsors and the, and the pro-am participants. And whenever I did interviews, I guess I um, appealed to our commissioner at the time, Charlie Meacham, who was good friends with the gentlemen that were starting the golf channel. And they were looking for players to speak from the heart and talk about golf from a player's perspective. And 
he came up to me and asked me if I'd be interested. And I was literally practicing three footers in, in Springfield, Illinois. He said, would you consider doing, have you ever thought of doing television? And I said, no, never thought about <laughs> it. And he said, well, I think you'd be great. They're looking, uh, Golf Channel is starting. They're looking for young uh, commentators who are players. And I think you'd be wonderful. I'll, I'll recommend you. And I sort of really felt like that was a big seminal moment in my life that yeah. something was being presented to me that was pretty big deal. And I thought I've got to, I've got to follow this up and, and pursue this. I figured, you know, I, would I be any good at it? Would they like me? Uh, would I like it? Maybe it would help jumpstart my competitive fire one way or the other. I knew it would be a good, a good uh, thing to pursue. And once I started doing it, I just fell in love with the challenge of doing television. And I really loved all the people that I worked with and this wide variety of characters behind the scenes that create, that have to work together and create what is presented on the air. And it felt like a team effort. And I just love the fact that it was now more about than just me. You know, when you're playing professional golf, you have to be very selfish and very, um, sort of one dimensional and focused, but with the television, there was, it was a group effort. And if, if I stumbled or made a mistake, someone was there to pick me up or I picked up somebody that made a mistake and collectively we made it happen. And, and since that, well, that was like the fall of 94 going into 95, wow. uh, I kind of weaned myself. I, I still continued to play a little bit, but I weaned myself off and, and, basically been doing this TV thing now for about 25 years. That's amazing. And so what sort of tournaments, championships, events do you work? I pretty much work just about everything. The only tour that I really haven't worked is the, the champions tour. Okay. I think I've done maybe one, one event on the champions tour, but I work primarily LPGA and then some PGA. And in the past I did what's now the corn Ferry tour, which is the PGA's minor league tour mm -hmm. and then amateur events, college and USGA events that we cover. So I, I have a nice variety um, of different types of events with different cast of characters. <laughs> yes, yes. And you get to see some of them kind of progress through the ranks, I'm sure, which is wonderful. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Well, you reside in San Francisco and are a member of the Olympic Club, which is the host of the U.S. Women's Open. Um, how excited are you for the week to finally be here? It's obviously years in the making. It, I can't believe it's next week. I mean, it's it seemed like this far off distant yeah. that we were all planning for and really excited about. And literally, we've been, now we're counting down the days. It's, it's inside. What, it's like eight days away, seven days away. Um, I'm really excited. I'm proud to be an Olympic club member to this day. I, I pinch myself and think, how did I become a member there? I, I grew up playing public golf courses. So to be a, a member at such an iconic, um, historical course is fabulous. And then the fact that the women are now getting a chance to play this course, right. traditionally, it seems like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's been a nice change, it feels like in the last 10, 20 years where the women are starting to get to play more of the courses that where the men have traditionally played. Sure. And the women rise to the occasion. They play great on these venues and they get up for it. And it's exciting for them. And 
and like next week at the U.S. Women's Open, it's his, it's historical, and everything that the women do there will go down in the history books of women competing at Olympic Club, whether it's the first round in the 60s or the first birdie run or the first hole in one, whatever happens will be the first and it's it's going to go down and be written down and remembered. So I, I'm just, I'm excited for it. I'm, I'm going to be thrilled to be out there walking the fairways, watching the women tackle this course. Well, you gave me the butterflies. I'm very excited now. <laughs> um, and as you mentioned, the Olympic Club has hosted other USG championships. Um, I have never been to Olympic Club, but the photos look like something out of a storybook. Um, what would you say are some of these course themes that fans should know about as they tune in? Well, it's it's a park-like setting. There are no houses okay. around. So it's really just you, the grass, the trees, the birds, um, it's, it's a beautiful walk. It's quite hilly uh, from the clubhouse and the first tee down to the lowest point on the 13th tee is 190 feet. So you sort of terrace yourself down to the bottom and then have a slow climb back up. Okay. So it, it's, it's interesting in that there's a lot of tilted holes where the fairways tilt left to right or right to left. You're hitting uphill to some greens, you're hitting downhill. So I, I always say to people, I describe it that the course is always trying to sort of put you off balance um, because you're fighting your balance um, because you have a lot of uneven lies. And there's a lot of, there's gravitational pull down from the clubhouse down to Lake Merced, which is at the lowest point. Um, it's a really hard golf course. It doesn't <laughs> look on the card and think it doesn't seem that treacherous, but all of a sudden with the heavy, the air, the coastal air, a lot of the marine layer that we have more often than not, it makes the course play, I would say, a good 200 yards longer. Wow. And so every shot you face always um, plays a little bit longer just because of the heavy air. Uh, it's challenging from tea to green. And and it's, I think, the, the tradition is going to continue of about even par being the winning score. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it. <laughs> um, and you kind of mentioned this, but being situated so close to the Pacific Ocean and having that heavy marine air, what, for somebody who doesn't, hasn't been to the West Coast or know what that, what does that mean? Yeah. Oh, well, I grew up in near Santa Cruz, California, which is another coastal town, Okay. And particularly Northern California. It seems like we get these, we have these really intense microclimates, even in San Francisco, where you go a mile west or east and it can be five degrees difference temperature change okay. the, this marine layer that we get is sort of a unique phenomenon along the coast where the fog comes in and a lot of times it comes in in the morning and then it pulls out you have sun and kind of a mixture of sun and clouds then it comes back in in the evening but we'll get some days in san francisco where that marine layer comes in and just sits there for like three, four or five days. And it gets downright chilly. Down, it, wow. it can be in the low fifties in June, July or August. And you go half an hour, half an hour East or North or South and it's 82 degrees. And you just have this cloud, this, this, this Carl, the fog, they, he's right. <laughs> Carl the fog. He has his own Twitter handle in San yeah. Francisco. He, he creates just this crazy weather pattern that's, I mean, I grew up in it and it still astounds me to this day. And I've just been telling all the players, 
bring layers, bring layers, expect it to be on the cool side. And if you, if you have to peel off a layer or two, just be pleasantly surprised that it's a little warmer than you anticipated. Perfect. Um, well, what are some holes that as fans are tuning in, or maybe they are coming on site that they, that they should check out, or maybe they'd perk up by seeing on TV? Well, I, I think, um, the the opening stretch of holes two through six are notoriously difficult they were very they were some of the challenging most challenging holes even for the men in the u.s the various u.s opens that they've played they're they're um they're just uh, you you want to get through that stretch at like maybe no worse than one or two over par but one of my favorite holes is is the um fourth hole because it's one of those Traditional it moves right to left, mm-hmm. but the slope of the fairway goes the opposite way, left to right. So that's one of those that kind of just you're fighting the slope and you hit slightly downhill. And then your second shot is uphill to a blind, a blind shot to a um, pretty, pretty severely sloped green. But I love I love the challenges that that hole brings. Number eight is is a relatively new hole. They re, redid number eight before the men, last men's open. And it's just a beautiful par three that plays back up to the clubhouse and it's framed by cypress trees on the left and the right. And it's just a, a really a stunning hole visually. And it's a fun hole to play too. You can hit anything from, if you're in the front tees, it could be a short iron, middle tees, a middle to long iron, a back tees, even a, maybe a hybrid. Sure. Um, the 16th hole is another historical hole on our course. It's a brutal par five that okay. curves right to left and it plays 550 plus yards. It's a true three shot. You can't get there in two. So it'll be mm-hmm. a traditional three shot hole, but it's probably one of the hardest par fives because if you miss slightly miss hit any shot, you're struggling to make par. Okay. Okay. So that, that's a good one. That's going to infuriate a lot of players. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you've been able to point this out to quite a few people because looking at your Instagram, you've been playing with some of the women who will be competing, such as Lydia Ko, Sam Kim, uh, Rob Zhang, and, and many more, I'm sure. What have you heard when you play with these competitors and, and their excitement? I think they're just really genuinely um, happy to be out there. And they, mm-hmm. they're, they basically when they're playing it that early, they're not trying to beat up the golf course or score. They're just kind of soaking in the whole aura of the course and kind of getting some, some lines off the tee that they want to aim at for their drives and getting a sense of the course and what it is going to bring to them and what maybe what parts of their game they're going to have to work on a little bit to bring to Olympic club and be ready for, which I would say is straight driving, accurate driving (laughs) and having a good short game because nobody is going to be able to hit all those greens. They're very small. And so you have to be able to get up and down, but they just, they've loved it. They, they, um, the ones that have played it have really enjoyed it and asked me a few things about how much farther this whole play is uphill or where do you want to miss it? Or is that a good line off the tee? Pretty simple things, but I would just impart a little bit of my knowledge when they'd ask. Sure. Sure. And I, that's so interesting. I would have thought that they would have kind of been like grinding, but it's, it's cool to hear that they probably were just trying to soak it in and take that opportunity mm-hmm. to do so. 
And, and it's a nice advantage to come early. So, you know, even just something as simple as knowing your way around the course, where's the first tee, where's the driving range, where, sure. where are you going to park your car in relation to everything? So when you come back there, you already know all those things. And then you can just sort of focus on the details of, of how you're going to try to, what parts of your game you really need to work on and, and your game plan to get yourself around the golf course. Cause everybody has a little bit different strategy, depending on what your strengths and weaknesses are. Well, I appreciate that because for the ladies, we like, we welcome women to the golf course so that the next time they come to a course, they kind of have an idea of what to expect. So I'm glad that kind of continues all the way through. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing more daunting than showing up to a, a place or a golf course for the first time and really feeling like you don't even know where to go next. Yeah. And believe me, even professionals feel that they, when they come to a course, it's like you're, you just have that first initial feeling when, where, where do I park? Where do I go? Where's the pro shop? Um, what's the protocols here? What are the rules and regs? I mean, every course is a little different, right? So I think that's something that the industry as a, in general could do a better job of is to, to make it more relaxing for everybody to come out. And, and even if you make a mistake or you go in the wrong direction, there's no big deal, right? Right. Because right. it isn't. Right. It's no. not, it's not brain surgery out there. It's you just playing golf and everybody makes mistakes and everybody makes a wrong turn and ends up in the, in the wrong place. But, um, that shouldn't deter you from, <laughs> from, from coming out and keep, keep trying it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the beauty of the LPGA is the depth of players is so strong. So like, so hard to predict. It really could be anyone's week. Um, but with that said, you know, what perhaps maybe not naming specific players, but perhaps what sort of skills um, do you think a player who will succeed at Olympic, what kind of um, skills would they they have? Yeah, definitely. Um like I said, ac uh, being an accurate uh, driver of the ball because the rough mm -hmm. will be very long, three and a half plus inches and thick. So if you hit it in the rough, you're just, you've, you've got to effort so much to get the ball out of the rough and you can't control it. You, 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 it's just, it's terrible. You got to be on the short grass. Yeah. You also need to be a high ball hitter, ideally with your irons and be able to move it both ways because of the tilt and and what's going on with um, the gravitational pull, you have to be able to work the ball a little left to right or right to left. And if you can hit it high and land it soft on these firm, small greens, that's an advantage. You also have to have a creative, wonderful touch around the greens for those times you miss the green and you can chip it hopefully within two, three, four feet, as opposed to eight, nine, 10, 15 feet, because the closer right. you chip it, the more chance you're gonna make uh, a par and save a par. Uh, and then the greens themselves are really tough to read and they take a lot of touch and finesse. So you have to have a lot of confidence and be, be a really good putter. So that's all you need to do. You just have to do everything. Well, right. I don't, I don't mind naming players. I mean, one of my top picks is say young Kim because okay. she is such a good ball striker. And when she puts well, which she never puts poorly, but when she gets, when she has a really nice putting week, she is someone to look after. And I really like the Corda sisters, Nellie, Nellie and Jessica. They also um, hit the ball a long way, are usually pretty accurate off the tee and also hit those high iron shots and are good putters. Uh, but 
you know, someone like Lydia Ko, who's gained some distance in the last few years, and she's kind of moving herself out there and having shorter clubs in. She, she has, uh, I think she has what it takes and she's been so successful in San Francisco area. Yeah. In fact, she says she likes to call San Francisco K.O. I That's like what it. Like call it because she's won three times over at Lake Merced, which is just a hop, skip and a jump from Olympic club and has a lot of the same feelings, um, that Olympic club does. Nice, nice. Yeah, I was wondering, I was going to ask you, like, who are examples of some of those highball hitters? Because, um, you know, in the women's amateur game, it's, we kind of hit it a little lower. So it rolls out quite far. So I was wondering some of those examples. Thank you. It doesn't mean the lower ball hitter or the shorter hitter can't succeed. They just have to be a little more crafty about how they get around the course and be really gritty and patient because okay. they can sort of play to the front of the green or even try to bump it onto the green. And if their short game is good enough and they're accurate enough, um, there's no reason they can't, um, can't win as well. I, I just think sure. the course brings a wide variety of, of, of players into play. And it's just, um, I think mentally it's a grueling test. So those that are mentally strong are going to prevail. Yeah. Well, and uh, the beauty of the Women's Open is there will also be a lot of amateurs that come and compete in the event. Um, And some of them were able to see the course with that Olympic Club Collegiate in May. Um, I thought that was such a cool opportunity. Did you hear anything about the players' experience and and seeing it before they play in the championship? Well, the the woman, Rachel Heck, who is the hottest uh, collegiate golfer right now, and probably you could say even uh, up there in the hottest uh, amateur players. Yeah. They set the course up. They played a one-day tournament with four four schools, Cal, uh, Davis, um, USF, and Stanford. Mm -hmm. And they set it up longer than it's going to be for the women's open. They set it up at 6,600 yards. It was 52 degrees, overcast, cold. She shot 66. Rachel shot 66, which was mind blowing. Yeah. And um, the fact that she just so easily waltzed around that course in those conditions doesn't surprise me that she's playing so well and has won six times and just won the NCAA. Yeah. <laughs> she's definitely the amateur lookout for to, to not only get low amateur, the low amateur medal, but to possibly win the championship. She's that good. Now she has to deal with a lot of pressure internal and external, but her game and her capabilities are are astounding and and i i really like her chances um caitlin papp was the low amateur last year and she's been playing very well i actually played a practice round with her early about a month ago and i i love the way she's hitting the ball she's hitting it really solidly and she's got a great head on her shoulders um i think she could have another good showing as well it's quite an low amateur yeah yeah yeah. And it's just so fun to see these amateur golfers succeed um, and then compete on the professional stage and, and still hold their own. I, and we saw a bit of it even in the 2020 U.S. Women's Open. So uh, with all the Swedish players. So uh, it's just always something which is kind of fun. Definitely. And I think the, the folks at home watching and even the members that go out there 
will really uh, they could relate to the amateurs because they're amateur. Yeah. And I, I think it's a really nice uh, touch that we have so many. Well, you know, I mean, last year there was limited qualifying. So they got in based on their world rankings, but there was, um, you know, qualifying all over the nation and the world. So all of these amateurs qualified to be there um, playing head to head against the professionals and earning their spots. So um, they've, they've earned their place and they're all tremendous players just to, just to even get there. And then we'll see how many of them play all four days and who ends up having the lowest score. Yeah. And coming off NCAAs, it's just like a really exciting time. Totally. Yeah. Actually, I would be curious to know just, you know, what will your role look like during the week of the championship and, um, and yeah, how will, how will you be at the club that week? I think it's, I feel like I've done a lot of work and a lot of promotion and and put a lot of time into this championship. And I think the easiest part will be actually Thursday when we go on the air and I can grab my pack and my microphone and head out on the course. And it's just me walking and, and talking to my fellow commentators, but I will be out on the course as a, as a on course commentator with a group or maybe a couple groups. I might start with one group and then move to another group with one of the, obviously to, to start with one of the marquee groups, or if we suddenly have somebody three, four, five under par, one of us will run over to that group. And basically I walk with the group and I talk about things that you might not, might not see on screen, things uh-huh. that might happen in between shots that are interesting. And then I set up the shot. What's that player facing? How far do they have? How's their ball lying? What are the possibilities that this lie dictate that the shot will end up, what will happen to the hot shot? And then where do they need to hit it onto the green? Where's the ideal positioning? Where do they not want to go? The miss, stay away from that side. Um, you know, and so I'm just describing what I'm seeing. So I sort of think about how I would hit the shot. And then I also kind of translate that to how the player and their skills and, and what, how they'll um, handle the shot as well. And then, um, yeah, I just kind of keep describing what's happening and play off my fellow commentators. So we might sure. discuss various topics that come up, um, uh, such as amateur golf or breaking par or um, dealing with punch shots out of the rough and, and the cypress trees. There's something that people have to look out for. These cypress trees are so, they're unique tree. They have branches that come out almost horizontally up at the top. And so if you hit it a high shot with a drive and it catches a cypress tree, it might be deflected or the cypress tree might just catch it and hold on to that ball. Oh my God. And that's happened to many a player out there. And when that happens, if you can't see the ball and you won't be able to see it because it's so high and you yeah. might know it's up there, but it's, it's, it's a lost ball and you got to go back and hit another tee shot. Okay. So we don't have many, um, there's only a little bit of out of bounds along the border, the, the, the very lowest holes, like 13, 14, there's some out of bounds down there. Um, other than that, there are really no natural, there's no penalty areas and no out of bounds on the course. The only penalty is the rough and the trees. Okay. Interesting. It's just all very natural. And, And I think that's why people like playing Olympic club because 
you um, you can usually find your ball, but you might have a tough shot, but you're not penalized by hitting it into lakes. There's no water. There's no water out there. It's just, okay. there's only one fairway bunker on the golf course. Wow. So, and despite the lack of all those obstacles, it's still a tough golf course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited for, for you and next week. And uh, thank you for this preview. I, I think it'll be great for people to listen to before they tune in to the Women's Open. Well, thanks for having me, Abby. And I look forward yeah. to meeting you in person. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Our original music is composed and performed by my talented and wonderful friend, Ryan Young. If you're looking for more from For the Ladies, visit us at ForTheLadies.net and on Instagram at ForTheLadies. That's F-O-R-E. 